This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. There's an African proverb that says, says it this way. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's one of the reasons why I talk about Christian community a lot. And why it's so important that you understand the concept of Christian community. What we're called to do. We're going somewhere together. We're going somewhere far. And to go far, we need one another. And that's why we have 242 groups tonight as a vehicle to create relationships and create Christian community. And so you hear me talk about that subject frequently, uh, the need for Christian community. Well, today I want to talk about something that seems counterintuitive to that, but it's really not. I want to talk about you. We're starting a new series called Project Identity. And we want to see uh, how God sees us and therefore how we see ourselves. And at first that might seem like selfish or anti-community, but it's really not the case. Because see, you're in a community, uh, you're in probably several communities. The, the family that you're in, the relationships, the friendship clusters. The job you're in, the school that you're a part of, the team that you're a part of, that's a community. And, and we're a community. This gathering place, when we, we gather to worship the Lord, we are a community ourselves and we're create, creating communities through our 242 groups and our men's groups and our women's groups and uh, through our teams that minister to children and our teams that minister to youth. And I want to suggest to you that the greatest gift you can give your community is yourself. To be authentic. To bring the real you forward. But here's the problem. So many Christians are trying to be somebody else. So many Christians don't realize the gift that they are to their community and ultimately to the world. And so we fall into the trap of discouragement. The trap of of demeaning ourselves, we don't really see what God sees in us. And I want to start with the premise, and here's the premise that every single one of you need to realize today, that God wants to use you as an instrument. Every single one of you. God has designed you to be an instrument for His glory. For the community you're in, and for the world you've been placed in. And you might say, well, Aaron, you don't know, you don't know my story. You you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past and you don't know my sin. And you're right, I don't know that. But I want to show you the most unlikely person for God to use. Right there in Scripture, we see in Acts chapter 9, the story of Saul. It's not the full story of Saul, but the part we are going to look at today will contain the aftermath of what happened. Saul... We now know him as Paul. Executed, executed Christians. That was his job. It was a, a genocide. If someone followed the way of Jesus Christ, it was his job to kill, kill them. One of the worst people to ever live. And Ananias was a man of God. And Saul was converted. Ananias didn't realize that. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 11. And the Lord said to him, that's Ananias, 
rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. Let me pause there and talk about that. You know, that's a strong statement. A lot of times we, we, we attach all these definitions to bad behavior, you know, like a mistake, a misstep, a lack of judgment. And Saul, that, it, was, it was none of that. It wasn't that nice. I mean, this is really what the scripture says. And I said, how much evil he has done to your saints. I think we all can agree, all of humankind can agree that genocide, the systematic killing of a group of people is an evil. And Paul led that. He led that. I want that to sink in for a second. We now know him as Paul. Much of the sermons that you hear on a weekly basis come from his teaching. But he was the most unqualified, unlikely person for God to use. So we see this. It says, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, and I, I put this, I underlined this, I, I made this emphasis. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. Look at those words I underlined. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. The executor. The most unlikely person. God chose the most unlikely, unqualified person to be his instrument. And, and listen, that's... The basis of, I want you to realize today, you're not off the hook. Okay, you cannot uncall yourself. God's called you. You know, you might want to bury the call, ignore the call. Uh, You might try to act like the call is not there. But if God could choose Saul as an instrument, then he's done the same for you. He's done the same for you. And, And that's why this sermon is about you. This is why we're looking at your identity here, because I want you to bring your authentic self. There is a you. I'm not talking now about this whole uh, justification of sin. Like, uh, let's suppose you had a bad temper and you were always lashing out in anger and you said, hey, that's just me. You know, that's just me. No, I'm not talking from that angle. I'm talking about the parts about you that God has specifically chosen and designed And that you demean or you despise. I'm not talking about justifying sinful behavior. I'm talking about this lack of ability to accept your place in life. Listen, God wants you. God wants you to step forward in confidence as the person he's made you to be. He's made you and he's placed you here on this earth for a reason. There's a reason why it's 2012 and you're listening to the sermon right now. There's a reason why you have your personality and you have your preference and you sound the way you sound. You look the way you look because God 
chose you and God put you here on this earth for such a time as this. And he wants you to realize that you're called to the Lord. You're an instrument in his hand. Every one of you have value. Every one of you have purpose. And God wants the real you to come forward. And I'm going to tell you the community that you're part of, your family, your workplace, your school, this church, whatever church you may attend if you're visiting, they need you. They don't need you to act like somebody else. They don't need you to mimic someone else. They don't need you to wish like you were somebody else. They need for the real you to step forward and reflect the glory of God. All right. So for the real you to come forward, I'm going to suggest five things today. Not an exhaustive list, but five things that that I think God wants you to understand. First one is this. You have to realize your uniqueness. Realize your uniqueness. Now, this is a point you've probably heard before. But sometimes we need to be reminded more than we need to be instructed. Some of you just need to hear this today. You've heard it before, but you haven't heard it this morning. And you need to hear it right now. Because you're unique. You're special. God has a plan for you. God's made you unlike any other person. And what God makes, he calls it good. God doesn't call anything bad. He doesn't call anything trash. He doesn't call anything junk. What God made, God calls as good. God calls us very good. God calls us special. And you've been, maybe you've been hearing sermons like this for a long time. Maybe you heard this if you were fortunate enough to hear this in Sunday school when you were a kid. Or at vacation Bible school. Or from your grandma. Or from your uncle. Or from your aunt. And you've heard these kind of messages before. You're special. You're unique. And you know, it's one thing to hear it with your head. But God wants you to hear it with your heart. God wants you to feel it. His love. His approval. His hand upon your life. So we've been saying this, those preachers like me have been saying this for a long time. Hey, you're unique, you're special. And now we have the advantage that science itself has confirmed this. Now, we've never looked for science to confirm the Bible. They're two separate things, you know. But in this particular case, there's something that we now know as DNA, which is our genetic makeup. And we know that nobody who's ever lived has had... Have had, has had our genetic makeup, and that's why uh, we are able to be identified by that. And statistically, it's an, an impossibility for anyone else to have your genetic makeup in the future. Because there's so many different strands of DNA. There's, there's, there's uh, an, an, an uh, a, a amount that you can't even calculate. And so there's no possible way for that to happen. Okay, science is verifying what, what we've been teaching for a long time. You're special, you're unique, you're chosen, you're called. There, anyone, there is no one else like you. God, God cares about you. God cares about the details of your life. God cares about the intricacies of your life. He cares deeply. That's why in Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 29, we hear a teaching from Jesus. And Jesus himself asked this question, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? We have to trust that was the case that day. And not one of them will fall to the ground. Apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. A number that's always changing. In fact, there's probably no hour of the day that you have the same. You're always shedding hair. Some of us quicker than others, but it's always happening. God knows the numbers of hair on your head. What is that saying? It's saying God cares about the details of your life. God cares about the little things. He's watching over you. He, 
is into the details. So verse 31 says, fear not, therefore, you're more valuable than the sparrows. God knows what's going on. He knows everything about you. He knows every detail about your life. He knows everything about who you are. Not only does he know every hair that's upon your head, he knows the DNA that makes up that hair. That's our God. Our God knows what's happening. You are valuable. You are valuable to him. You are unique. You are chosen. And, and every message that the enemy wants to send wants to make you think that, uh, that you're less than valuable and you're less than everything God wants you to be. And so there's this discouragement that comes over us. Discouragement comes over us in waves. And, and discouragement can, can lead to self-doubt and even to self-hatred. I'm just going to tell you this. That's not God's will. Every single one of us in this room, including myself, I deal with discouragement. Everyone in here deals with discouragement. It's not wrong to to deal with that. And through God's grace, he'll teach you how to manage it. But when you go into self-destructive thoughts, self-demeaning thoughts, I want to be really clear. That doesn't come from your father. That doesn't come from your God. When you begin to think uh, about yourself in a way that that is demeaning and you begin to uh, wish you were somebody else and doing something else, that that doesn't come from the heart of God. He's here to remind you this morning. You've heard it before, but you need to hear it now. You've heard it before, but you need to feel it now. You're valuable. You're special. You're unique. No one has ever been like you. No one will ever be like you. You're needed. You're needed. That's part of our identity. Is we are unique to God. And we're unique to this world. He has us here. So that's more of a positive spin on that. But now here's, here's the issue. If you want to be that person who steps out in uniqueness. That's authentic. That presents yourself to the world the way God wants you to present yourself. Then there's something that's inevitable. Part of me doesn't want to tell you, but I want you to be prepared. And here's the second observation. To be the real you, you have to expect rejection. It's just going to happen. When I say expect rejection, I'm not saying in a in a way that you're you're saying, oh, everyone's going to reject me because I'm no good. But the realization that in life, not everyone is going to get you. In life, not everyone's going to understand you. And there's dozens and dozens of reasons why that can happen. And it's all individual to each person. But if you are under this delusion that 100% of the world is going to accept you, then when the inevitable rejection from man comes... Whenever that happens, what I don't want to happen for you is I don't want you to shut down. I don't want you to draw back. I don't want you to think man's rejection determines who you're going to be tomorrow because that's just not the case. There's there's all types of reasons why you'll face rejection of man. Sometimes it's as simple as there's a personality conflict. Sometimes it's because people are intimidated by who you are. Sometimes something about you causes someone to feel negative about them and it's nothing wrong you've done. It's just a reaction. It's a result of our sinfulness. So rejection 
is going to come, but I, I want you to know today that the rejection of man does not determine who you are. And, you know, even when rejection comes from people close to us, I, I know this, that rejection comes from people close to us. I know that because I'm a sinful man that uh, in my relationship to my wife, Beth, that I've done things to reject her, that I regret. It just happens because I'm not God. Parents, sons, daughters, best friends. There'll be a level of rejection that can come because that's just a result of sinfulness. But I want to remind you today, your God never, ever is going to reject you. The only thing he's going to reject in your life is your sin. But the essence of who he's made you, who you are, the core of your being, he'll never reject you. And he is our audience. He's the one we have to live for. Because the, the rejection of man will come. It comes, it goes. It's based off circumstances, but God's totally different. That's why a scripture that I quote on a regular basis, I pray on a regular basis, it's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. It says, ask this question, this is Paul writing for, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Man, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's the issue there. There's an audience of one. And we're God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. Every single one of us wants to please man, wants to please our friends. But it's the approval of God. That should be what motivates us. That should be what drives us. Therefore, when we do face the rejection, if He's accepting us, if we face rejection, if He is approving our behavior... We face rejection and he accepts what we do. Then we're right where we need to be. We're being who he's called us to be. So don't live with the illusion that you're going to get 100% acceptance all the time. Yeah, rejection is going to come. But you're the one who can overcome rejection because greater is the one who's in you than he that's in the world. That God will teach you to look for his approval and to look what he's doing. Here's the third thing. Is, is the issue of jealousy. You have to eliminate jealousies in your life. Eliminate jealousies. Now, jealousy is uh, something we don't really talk a whole lot about in the church. But we sure do have a whole lot of it in the church. It's, jealousy is something that raises its ugly head, head frequently. A whole lot. Beth talked about comparison a couple weeks ago on Mother's Day. And, and what she said was so true. Our human nature, our human nature tends to be jealous. And to walk in jealousy. And we all deal with it. You know, except for preachers. We don't deal with jealousy. Never. We, we never have what's known as steeple envy. You know, we never look at other churches. And think, oh man, that bigger church. I don't want to have a big church. Oh, forget that. We never deal with it. Yeah, right. All right, preachers deal with this. It's, it's, it's a big one for us. It is a big one. And I started realizing that jealousy is a sign of spiritual immaturity. It is. It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. And when I started realizing that, it made me judge that reaction heart, more harshly in my life. Instead of saying, oh yeah, you know, just, just letting jealousy uh, 
be a part of who I am. I realize it's a sign of my immaturity. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. It says, you're still worldly. But since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Jealousy is a sign of our spiritual immature state. And us preachers, we deal with it just as much as you guys do. One of the ways I've overcome this is uh, through a counselor. Uh, A counselor who I see every day. That happens, this counselor happens to live in my house. This counselor happens to be named Beth Allison. Early on in ministry when things happened and, you know, let's say the attendance was 40 people down or 30 people down and, you know, and I would start saying stuff to her like, oh man, why isn't the church growing faster? Where was everybody? Why aren't people here? And I'd kind of be discouraged and kind of down after church, maybe dealing with jealousy, even though I didn't say it out loud. And my counselor, she would say to me, and she just uh, just said, what's your problem? God was there. His presence were there. The word was preached. People got saved. Everybody was happy. What in the world's your problem? And so I stood corrected. So. So as the years went on, I was smart and uh, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything when I was having those days, but I had this look. And she didn't have to hear me say anything. She saw the look. So I'd just be sitting there at lunch or after lunch and I'd have the look and she'd say, what's your problem? I know, I know that you wish more people were here today, but God was there. The spirit was there. That people got saved. The word was there. We're so lucky to have this church. And so I stood corrected. Nowadays, it's a little easier because when those times come and I give the look, she doesn't say anything. She just gives me a look. It's like speaking in shorthand. I got the look. She gives me the look. And the conversation happens and we don't have to say a word. But those are just the things that everyone deals with. However, however that comes out in your life. Okay? Jealousy. Jealousy is a sign of our immaturity. You know what a great way when you're feeling jealous towards someone else. And those things just creep over you. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's, a, it's part of our sinful nature. You know what one of the antidotes you could use? One of the strategies? Start praying for that person. Start asking God to bless them. God to increase them. God to prosper them. Boy, that's a good thing to do. And I just want to say this. As your pastor, I'm just going to ask you, as we live in community with one another, don't be jealous of one another. Don't be jealous of one another. That's not God's will. It's so much easier to lead a group of people when there's not this jealousy, when, when everyone is maturing. And they want to see the best come out. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Here's a fourth, fourth point I want to, fourth observation I want to make today is use your weakness. Use your weakness. You want to be the real you, the real you to the world. Use your weakness. Now that's not what we do with our weakness because usually with our weakness, we hide our weakness. We suppress our weakness. And we, we try to make sure that no one can identify our weakness. You've heard the old phrase, never let them see you sweat. Yeah, don't show a weakness. Don't show a vulnerability. 
Those techniques might might have some value in the business world in certain situations, but in the spiritual world, if you want to be led by the Spirit, if you want to be everything God wants you to be, there is something that is different than a strategy we would use for the world, and it's this, is that God uses our weakness to show His strength. It's amazing. It's the work of His Spirit. It's what He does through a humble vessel. So Paul... You know, as he walked with the Lord, he, he had some weaknesses. He had a thorn in the flesh. And as we discover with this thorn, his reaction to this mysterious thorn in the flesh, we can read the scripture. It says, but he being God said to me, being Paul. So God said to Paul or God said to me and God's saying to you right now. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, that's good news today. That's good news because the real you. You've got some weaknesses. You've got some vulnerabilities. You have some things that are not maybe your strong point. And by yourself, that is going to be a weak place. That By yourself, that is a vulnerability. But with God and with His grace, that which is the weakest part of you through Him can be the strongest part of you. And that place where you're vulnerable can be the place where He's strong. And that place where you're weak is a place where his grace can come and show the most strength possible. For where you are weak, there he is strong. And that is the power. The power of the Holy Spirit on your life. The power of God to do something great in your life. And your weakest place can be your strongest place. I mean, this happens in parenting. I mean, if you've been a parent before, you realize that, that just when you think you've got it together... Just when you think that you found a system or you found a rule or you found a strategy and you are getting the family on board, the next hour, everything changes. I mean, it's not a day to day. It's an hour by hour, maybe even a minute by minute. I mean, leading kids, leading the family, there's times when you just feel weak. You're like, man, I am not qualified to be a dad. I'm not qualified to be a mom. I'm not qualified to be a stepdad. I'm not qualified to do this, man. In your weakness, he can be strong. Turn to the Lord. This isn't just for those who are actively raising kids. Those of you who have adult children, you have grandchildren, the intricacies of those relationships get very complicated, especially when they start bringing in a spouse into the relationship and the rules change. and, And there is no one way. To relate to your adult children. There's no one way to relate to your grandchildren. Anyone who's written the book, the books change as soon as they get published. But there is a grace. And there is a strength. And there's going to be times when you're not the right grandparent. You're not the right uncle. You're not the right aunt. You're not the right stepmother. But you've got the right God. And our God's going to come right in that moment. If you humble yourself, take a step back. Take a breath. Say, God, I need you. I need you right now. I need your strength. I feel weak right now. I don't know how to respond to the situation. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I know you have all the wisdom and you're here right now, God. You're here right now. Would you help me, Lord? In our weakness, he is strong. Some of you are in situations in your job 
uh, where you feel maybe uh, maybe that things are just uh, over your head. You, you don't know how to respond to this type of manager. You don't know how to how to learn this new skill. You don't feel like you have the abilities. Can I just tell you, would you include God? Because in your weakness, his power can come right in that situation where you're weak. He's strong. You humble yourself and you just tell him, God, I don't know what to do. And he will send his strength to you. I mean, your worst moment can become your greatest moment. Your greatest challenge, your, your, your biggest challenge can be your biggest miracle. That's the type of God that we serve. In your weakness, He is strong. That's the great thing about weakness. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to suppress it. All we have to do is give our weaknesses to the Lord. Some of us have been prisoners to our weakness. We think that because we don't have this skill, we don't have this ability, we, don't have, we haven't developed this habit in our life, that we are going to be forever doomed. Forever, we'll never be able to, to find progress. Can I just... Encourage you this morning. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Take it to Him. Turn to prayer. Let your weakness turn yourself to prayer. Let your weakness take you to your knees. Or let your weakness make you turn down the radio or, or, or turn down the TV and submit to the Lord and just call to the name of the Lord. Not in a complicated prayer, but in an honest prayer. I need your help, Lord. I need your help. In my weakness, you're going to be strong. That's who our God is. So here's the last thing I want I want you to observe with me today is you gotta trust God. It always comes back to that. To be a real you, you gotta trust God. You gotta trust God. Man, He's working. He is working in you. You are not stuck. You're not wasting time. Uh, God is not finished with you. I'm gonna promise you that right now. I know sometimes we suffer the consequences of sin. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of bad choices, but God's never finished with us. As long as we've got breath on this earth, he still has a plan. He has a way. There's a path ahead of us. There is a way. There's something he wants to work out in us. God is going to finish. Even if you're in the middle of a project where you feel stuck and you don't know how it's going to end. And you don't know what the future holds. You serve a God who knows the future. He knows your future. He can see down the path. You might look down the road and the road curves and you don't know what's around the bend. God knows exactly what's around the corner. And he's going to give you the grace and the strength to sustain you when you get here. I want to remind you of something. That God's the one who started all of this. He started all of this. He is your creator. That's why he he made a decision. He made a decision to create you, to create your DNA. He made a decision to place you on this earth so that you can be alive right now in 2012 here in this message. He made a decision for you to be in this United States of America. He made a decision for you to be in this geographical location. Uh, Lord, The Lord made a decision for you to even hear this message this morning. God started this. God started this. God, God's the one who, who started the work in you. He started this. God started this marriage. You might think you chose this marriage, but I believe in a sovereign God. Our sovereign God put you together. He drew your hearts together. God started that child, that child that you're leading. God started it. God gave you that job. God's the one that started the job. Yeah, you might have put the application in and you might have sent the email or made the phone call and said, I accept the job. But God's the one that gave you the job. He's the one that started that job. God started all this stuff. He started all this stuff. Now, here's a great thing about our God who starts a lot of things. God doesn't start something in your life and just says, see you later. Hope it all works out. Good luck. 
That's not our God. Our God knows the very hairs that are on our head. Yeah, our God knows every detail of our life. Our God knows our future. God knows our destiny. And the stuff that he started, he's going to finish. That's why Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says it this way. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Our God's a finisher. Our God's going to finish what he started. You see, some of us feel stuck today. We feel forgotten. We feel alone. We feel like uh, we don't know what the plan is. We don't know what the deal is. God seems distant. Can I tell you that even in the loneliness, even in the isolation, even in the confusion, that's when you have to trust God. You know, it's easy to trust God when everything's going good. It's easy to trust God. I mean, you can trust God when everything's going the way you planned. You can trust God when everything's going the way you anticipated. You can trust God when everything's going according to your timeline. But when things aren't going the way you anticipated, and they're not going at the speed that, that, that you have set, and, and you, you don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow, that's when it takes trust. That's when it takes faith. And, and here's what your faith is in. Your faith is in a person. A person who's been proven. A person who's revealed his character. A God. He's not just a person. He's not just a man that he would lie like a man. He's God that does not have the ability to change because he's always been and will always be. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. And he is reliable. He's the one you can count on. He's going to finish what he started in you. God's not done with you. You know, he is working to make you everything he wants you to be. That's the kind of God we serve. Let's stand together. Lord. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.